This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. citizens welcome to the forks of potitude i'm dave michaels i'm brian betts and we are the cape podcasters and this is the show for at least this month is going to be really really into whips and leather that's true just all month long just hitting me with that that leather in the form of jackets and whipping accessories i love it that han solo is so hot right now that's very good that's like the piano necktie of jokes you just made there <laughs> we really should talk zoolander one day oh someday hopefully soon fingers crossed we'll get there but right now happy new year happy new year just as we do every january we need a break from talking about the capes and the tights and the comic books and the superheroes we need a break this is our sober month where we break format just a little bit yeah, this time not as much as maybe months past because, well, frankly, there's a lot of Indiana Jones comic books. There are, but also, yes, this month, this January, we will be doing all four Indiana Jones movies. And because January decided to be a dick and have a fifth Monday, we're going to be doing something Indiana Jones-esque. Something Indiana Jones-adjacent, kind of. But still keeping in the vein of our sober January. We're not coming back to those capes and tights and superheroes and comics quite yet. No, 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 no. Why would we? At least not until we talk about The Mummy, starring Brendan Fraser. Oh, of course. But we're not there yet, because this week, we are talking about the movie that started it all. It is 1981's Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm just going to get this out of the way now. Directed by Steven fucking Spielberg. Oh, yeah. Starring Harrison fucking Ford. There. We've done it now for the whole month. We've covered the bases. That's right. It's Spielberg and Ford all month long. What could be better? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Have you ever seen this thing before? I have seen it one time before this. Was that the time I forced you to watch it? It was the time you forced me to watch it. (laughs) When I was aghast that you had never seen it. Yes. And sat you down right then and there and said, Brian, sit on my lap. Let's watch Indiana Jones together. (laughs) This is happening. And then it happened. And then it happened. Give me your thoughts. This movie is fantastic. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's a shame that I had never seen it, and I understand why you sat me down in your lap and said, all right, little boy, we're going to watch this movie now. I did call you little boy that day, and uh, still have mixed feelings about that one. Yeah, me too. And this podcast has been very hard to do without calling you little boy the entire time. But I've just been trying to gain your acceptance for three years. <laughs> You might have done it now. Why won't you love me? So many reasons, Brian. But (laughs) you know that this is one of my all-time favorite movies of all time. This thing is an easy top three movie for me. with All-time of all time. Wizard of Oz, still number one, always and forever. Number two, it could be Raiders of the Lost Ark. It could be Back to the Future. It just depends on what I've watched most recently. Yeah, it's a Guardians of the Galaxy situation. Exactly. Do you just want to get right into this thing? Because, damn it, this thing is fun as all hell, and I can't wait to talk about it. That's what Spielberg would do. Just dive right in. We start out right in the thick of it in South America 1936. 
Indiana Jones, the aforementioned Harrison fucking Ford, is making his way through South America, through the jungle, with a group of porters to find the golden idol of fertility within a hidden temple. Like that show, Legends of the Hidden Temple. That kind of makes me curious to see Harrison Ford try to do the Shrine of the Silver Monkey. And just Harrison Ford himself, <laughs> oh, 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 Marion, oh, oh, trying to like figure this thing out. Get off of my monkey. <laughs> what? That's an entirely different movie. Where if yeah. you had like a Any Which Way But Loose or whatever that monkey Clint Eastwood movie is, yeah. that would fit in there. That would work. I just want Harrison Ford as president gets kidnapped and forced to go through old Nickelodeon game shows. We should save all of this for the next time we do a greatest movie never made <laughs> on Twitch. Mark Summers is like an inevitable villain. Him and Mark O'Malley team up. Absolutely. And for the rules, we go to Mo. Mo. Well, of course, Mo is like the game master when it comes down to it. She sets the rules and you better listen. You better. Oh, you don't want to cross Mo. Never cross Mo. So Indiana Jones is in the South American jungle looking for this idol. And he and his group of travelers and searchers or whoever, these guides, they're all being followed. And once they find the temple, one of the guides, Baranka, betrays Indy. But you can't get the jump on Indiana Jones. He done whips the gun right out of Baranka's hands and sends him running off scared. And where's that guy going to go at this point? Who knows? I love this because you have Indy walking through South America. And I'm only going to call it South America because that's all that the subtitle gives us is South America it's very could vague. be anywhere, but they don't ever show Harrison Ford's face until this moment here after he whips the gun out. And you're like, all right, certified badass. Here he is. Turn around. Let's see that, that sweet mug of yours. <laughs> You've earned it. Give me that face shot. Give me the reveal. I want to see that grizzled. Oh, shit. He's so young. He is so young. And what's even more jarring than Harrison Ford turning around and you going, oh, God damn it. You look so good in this is Alfred Molina. Alfred fucking Molina. In his debut. He's got a bit of a starring role here to start this movie. Yeah, he sure does. He's the remaining guide, Satipo. And they're going to make their way through the booby trap temple together. I think my favorite bit within the booby trap temple is when Alpha Melita points out that Indy has like tarantulas on his chest. And he's like, oh, okay. All right. Let me knock those off. Fine. Knocks him off with the whip. But then Alpha Molina has a couple running across his chest, and he says, turn around, he turns around, and his whole back is just covered in tarantulas. Absolutely covered. It is such a good visual gag to start this thing. I think it really sets the tone. Absolutely. It's fantastic, and I was very disappointed in the IMDb community. Why? Because they did not have an actual fact about in Alfred Molina's debut, he was covered in spiders, and then he was later in Spider-Man 2. (laughs) That's a very good point, actually. I didn't put together. That is just prime, prime IMDb territory, and I, I feel very let down. Well, you shouldn't feel let down, because I'm going to tell you this up front for this movie. For this entire month, I have submitted IMDb trivia facts, and every single one of them has been approved. That's fantastic. I think I found one. I'm so curious to see if you found it. They get progressively more ridiculous. That's exactly what I want to hear. And I don't know how they got approved, but I think I found the magic bullet. So stay tuned for the rest of this show for forever, (laughs) because I think I know how to get them approved no matter what. Well, that's exciting. So in this temple, there's spiders, there's surprise spears, there's a bottomless pit and a pressure sensitive floor that shoots arrows at you. 
and Indy and Satiba make it all the way to the idol. And Indy does his famous sack of sand swap. But he doesn't get the weight quite right, and the entire temple starts to collapse. It's not great, because now he's got to sprint out of there. And him and Satipo, they got to work together. And bad news about that, Satipo's not too interested in working together. He sure is not. Indy and Satipo run back toward the entrance of the temple. And at the bottomless pit, he crosses first, and then he refuses to throw back the whip until Indy throws him the idol. It's a double cross. It sure is. So, you know. Indy throws him the idol, and then he just drops the whip and says, bye. Deuces, man. I get it. Yeah, he's like, this, this is very valuable. Thank you very much. Goodbye forever. Indy manages to make it across the pit just by jumping and then pulling himself up by the root of some sort of, I don't know. It's there. He makes it. <laughs> he has to. It'd be a very short movie if he didn't. It's a cave plant of sorts. Yeah. And then as soon as he gets across the pit and starts making his way out of the temple, he immediately finds Satipo's dead body stuck to the automatic spears that come out when you touch the light. And uh, he, he gets the idol back. He's like, well, that was easy. It did seem pretty easy. Unfortunately, his adventure's not quite over yet. Not quite, because he's going to get chased by a big old boulder. You know the scene. You know what it looks like. It's awesome. It works every single time. I have sure always does. questioned why he did, couldn't just go backwards like 15 feet and have the boulder go over him. But then I'm like, oh, no, you're going to get into a weird Jesus situation then of right. being in a cave. And it's like trapped behind the boulder. Indy's not getting resurrected in three days. He's just going to die and stay there <laughs> for forever. It's true. It doesn't have that magical water to wine thing. So you'd run into things to eat quick, except for the spiders. Tons of spiders to eat. He'd probably be good for a while. Until he's not. Then he could kind of like go Matt Damon the Martian on that weird cave weed plant thing that he held. Yeah. You just start pooping on it and then it'll grow larger. <laughs> I think at a certain point you have to start looking towards, you know how the light was sneaking in? Yeah. Touch the light. You just follow the light source. It seems to be a thing that works sometimes, so. We'll get there. We'll get there. Andy escapes the temple, but at the exit is his nemesis, French archaeologist René Belloc. Played by Paul Freeman. Paul fucking Freeman. Paul Freeman in his only role ever, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> he, does, he disappears after this movie. I don't know what happens to this guy. And with him is a small army of Havido's natives. The buns are prevalent here. There's lots of man-ass. There's so much, and I feel like JCVD was probably just a youngin' at this point, and he probably like watched this movie and went, I know what to do. I know what I want to do with my days. I still can't do his voice. Still <laughs> no can't one can, because it. it's indiscernible. No one knows what it is. Yeah, it's like Fez on that 70s show. <laughs> Just like no idea where he's supposed to be from. No idea, and they never say where he's a foreign exchange student from, and also recently learned that Fez stands for foreign exchange student, and it blew my goddamn mind. Whoa. Wait. Yeah. I read it on like one of those things it's like oh 30 things you never knew about tv that you're not supposed to click on ever and right, i totally did and i always you know do. like 25 of them yeah no i'm not saying that i'm saying because of viruses and well, of course cookies and, and, and any sort of and badware so much of the advertising and the pop-ups but it's whatnots. where i learn a lot of my fake facts oh okay and this one may or may not be true sounds real good though i believe it it makes sense it checks out also i learned something today Belloc steals the idol from Indy, and then all of these natives start chasing him in a very, very famous scene that has been parodied so many times since. How far away from the plane is he as he's yelling at the man to start the engines? I don't know, but I feel like this should be like a whole Shazam situation. 
I think it is, and that's kind of my point. This is like the first time I noticed just how far away he is. Yeah. Either way, plane gets started, he dives in that water. I don't think he needed to worry about these natives shooting arrows at him because their aim is terrible. They are not good shots at all. Seems like a good time to mention that this movie is produced by George Lucas, and this <laughs> might be like a, a George Lucas trademark of just yeah. bad shots. Nobody can hit their mark ever, but you're going to feel tension because they're going to be close. You're going to feel tension because John fucking Williams is going to oh, tell you to feel tension. John fucking Williams could just control me with his sweet, sweet sounds. He does. Play me like a puppet. That's <laughs> not a phrase that's ever been uttered. This sounds like you want John Williams to just whisper sweet nothings in your ear. Not even musical based. String me up like a marionette and then... Wait, what? where were we? I blacked out there for a second. Make me your baton, Johnny. Wave me around to that four count. That's <laughs> so hot. That's the hottest count. Andy escapes in the pontoon plane, and there's a snake in the cockpit, and he's like, ah, oh, snakes. I hate snakes. And surely that will not come back. I think that it's very understood that it will, even when you hear how corny it is. It's so corny, but I love it. This opening is incredibly famous. Oh, yeah. All of it. From the way he pours the sand out before he throws it down and the cresting over that hill and then all the natives following him. There are so many shots in here that I've seen recreated a hundred times. And it wasn't until you made me watch this movie that I was like, oh, it's from Indiana Jones. I got it. Hey, how about that? Hey, how about that? This opening is used in a lot of film classes as its own short film in a lot of ways because it does have a certain three-act structure to it for yeah. as short as it is. But Mike Lanham wrote it, and he says that this is probably the greatest opening scene in cinema history. He wants to know, though, what beats it? And also, do we have a Mount Rushmore of our favorite opening movie scenes? Off the top of my head, that first heist with the, the clown masks in Dark Knight. That's a good one with William Fichter. Yeah. And Big fan of that one. And then the reveal that the, the clown mask was just covering up a clown face. It's a great little twist. It's pretty great. I think the opening to Star Wars, New Hope, oh. is perfect. The ship crossing over. You got Vader yes. boarding the ship. I think it's awesome. Very good. Maybe it's just because it's on top of my head, but Baby Driver has a great intro with that first chase. That's a really, really, really good one. It's probably not Mount Rushmore worthy, but it's very good. I mean, if you go Disney or Pixar or something, you're going to find something Mount Rushmore in there. Oh, yeah. Like a Lion King or an Up. Yeah. No, I, I like one more than the other because one doesn't completely bum me the hell out. <laughs> but it tells a full story. Yes, it does. So there you go. This Mount Rushmore's got five faces. There you go. And maybe you throw the comedian falling out a window in there, too. Who knows? That's a good one. I actually really like Watchmen. There you go. There's six and in this very wrong Mount Rushmore. We went on the back side, too. We ran out of room on the front side. We had to go on the back. <laughs> but I also can make the argument for the movie we're talking about in two weeks. We'll get there. Interesting. Okay. I know you've never seen it, so I don't want to spoil anything. That's fair. That's totally fair. But back to this week, the Raiders. We're going back to the United States, to the school where Indy teaches his archaeology classes, and all of his students are in love with him. They love him so hard. To the point that they're writing love you on their eyelids? That's commitment. That you is gotta, metal. You got to walk around with that all day. And every time you blink, somebody's like, hey, wait, me? <laughs> Did I blink slow at you? No, not for you. 
Barbara's a bit of a hoe, isn't she? Every time she blinks, she's just flirting with all the boys. Silly Barbara. Not flirting with them. If I close my eyes just a little bit longer, it means I do love them, Dad. <laughs> no daughter of mine is leaving their, this house with love you written on their eyes. <laughs> it shouldn't have to be said. It shouldn't, but here we are. Two U.S. Army intelligence officials meet with Indy and museum curator Marcus Brody, played by Denholm Elliott. I found a very interesting item to be trivia fact about Marcus Brody, but I didn't write it down. I didn't copy it. But I was like, hmm, that's wrong, because it said that Spielberg used the same name in two movies. And this and Jaws, with Marcus Brody and with Martin Brody, which are clearly two different names. Yeah, clearly different names. So Colonel Musgrove and Major Eaton explain to Indy and Marcus that the U.S. has intercepted a cryptic Nazi message that mentions a Professor Abner Ravenwood being under the scrutiny of German intelligence. Indy, a former student of Ravenwood, helps interpret the message as an indication that the Nazis are close to finding the Ark of the Covenant. Right. He mentions the city of Tannis, and Indy just instantly gets an archaeological boner, and it is prevalent. <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant, if you're not aware, is a golden MacGuffin chest constructed under the guidance of God and Moses that housed the remnants of the tablets of the Ten Commandments, and legend implies that if Hitler gets it, it's going to be bad. So basically the stakes of this movie are set up. If Hitler gets the Ark of the Covenant, the whole world is in a lot of trouble, and we're going to get a professor to save the world. It's what we need right now. It's a really good teacher. <laughs> Do you think he's on RateMyProfessor.com? <laughs> I hope so. Does that still exist? I don't know. I know it was when I was in college. Like You would plan your schedule around that. It wasn't even like classes you wanted to take. It was yeah. like you just really... Have to dodge the bad ones. Exactly. It was like, oh, there's there's so many professors here that do psychology. Why would I be stuck with a guy who sucks? There is a Henry Jones Jr. at Marshall University for art history, so he's close. That's <laughs> he wishes. And Henry Jones Jr., he's got a 3.8 out of five. Some things that his students are saying is, this guy is the coolest, his lectures are so interesting, and he's got some great stories from back in the day. I'm not kidding. One day when I was in the library, he and some other guy drove in on a motorcycle, smashed up the place, <laughs> but gave me some great advice before they left. Somebody should really make a movie about him. <laughs> another says, Dr. Jones knows his stuff, but tells me some ridiculous stories about going crazy places and fighting weird people. He also thinks that Shia LaBeouf is his son. <laughs> Oh, God. The last one here, he's got a 5.0. Difficulty's a 1.0 in the class, so, you know, he's a, he's a bit easy there. Nice. Says Dr. Jones is super hot and a great professor, even though he disappears in the middle of the semester. He prefers to be called Indiana. So someone just didn't understand the subtlety of the joke that was going on here. Yeah. I just said, <laughs> watch. Watch hey, what guys. I'm going to do. <laughs> guys, I'm in on the joke. Look. <laughs> I saw that obscure movie, too. It's super obscure. You guys probably never heard of it. The Germans believe that Ravenwood has the headpiece to the staff of Ra needed to pinpoint the Ark's resting place. The headpiece is a disc-like MacGuffin with a crystal in the center that when affixed to the top of a staff of a specific height, focuses a beam of sunlight onto a model of the ancient Egyptian city of Tanis, revealing the Ark's resting place. Naturally, Indy is tasked with making sure the Nazis don't get that headpiece. And should they get that headpiece, they for sure cannot be allowed to find the Ark. And I love that we get the exposition out of the way. Because 
This movie's about fun. It's not about learning. It's not right. about getting bogged down with all these facts. They just lay it all out there. Got to stop the Nazis from finding the disc MacGuffin or else they're going to find the Ark. And if that doesn't work, I don't know. You'll figure out the next step, I guess. Boom. Stakes are set. Let's go to Nepal. That's where I want to go. So Indy flies to Nepal to speak with Marion Ravenwood, played by Karen fucking Allen. Yeah, she's absolutely crushing it. Absolutely crushing it. She is Professor Ravenwood's daughter, who is a badass and can really hold her liquor. She's in a drinking competition with might be a guy, might be a girl. I've seen this movie probably 30 times. I still have no idea. No clue. Very large individual who seems like they can hold their liquor pretty well until they can't. Exactly. And then she collects an amount of money for winning. I don't know what's going on here, but she just puts it into a cigar box. Seems safe. That's how you run a bar, Dave. I don't know if you know. <laughs> Maybe in Nepal. <laughs> oh, I want to try to sell you this POS system. No, it's not a point of sales. It's an actual piece of shit, and it's just a cigar <laughs> box to put your monies in. Keep it safe. No, it's not a safe. It's a cigar box. I can't repeat that enough. You're just not listening. I've smoked the rest of the box last night. I just have this box now, and it's yours for the low, low price of monies. I don't know how Nepal works. <laughs> So Andy comes into the bar, and once they get past all the, hey, you're a jerk, I hate you, I can't believe you did that to me when I was 15 stuff, Andy discovers that her father died, and that she's reluctant to part with the headpiece. And Dave, I have an actual IMDb trivia fact. <laughs> okay. Brace yourself, it's a little long. Oh, God, I'm sitting down. Go ahead. The script describes Marion as being 25 years old. George Lucas originally wanted her to be younger, but Spielberg objected to her age at the script conference. Lucas said, once she's 16 or 17, it's not as interesting anymore. But she was 15 and he was 25, and they actually had an affair the last time they met. Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote the script, left her age out of the dialogue with Marion, telling Indiana only that I've learned to hate you in the last 10 years I was a child. All right, so George Lucas now for life is going to need at least a yellow flag attached to him for it's sure not so much a red one but definitely a yellow one a yellow flag for it's not interesting if she's 16 and he's 25 we need to make her younger oh boy ew yeah that's just a little problematic and i'm glad they just didn't put a number to it yeah yeah the kasdan writing the script did a very good job of um ignoring that point he did a very good job of everything and we'll get there Yes. But especially that point. Especially that point. And you're just, just be happy I didn't do it with the Lucas voice because it makes it that much creepier. <laughs> oh, man, that's so gross. <laughs> Andy offers her $5,000 for the headpiece, and she tells him to come back the next morning because she's still not sure. Once he leaves, a Nazi shows up named Arnold Todd, played by Ronald Lacey. And he's been following Indy since they left the United States, and he goes to Marion, tries to take the piece from her by force, you know, with a hot iron that she just had sitting in the, in the fireplace for reasons, because Nepal. It's a very Nepal thing. It's not a bullshit reason, Brian. There's a giant fire. There's a snowstorm outside. They gotta keep that fire going. There's gonna be pointy things to push the wood and poke the wood and whatnot. And oh, he just okay, uses yeah. that. Just use the pointy thing that's in the fire. Exactly. Of course. Indy returns to the bar, and all hell breaks loose between Indy, a surprisingly tough for how drunk she must be, Marion, and all of these Nazis. It makes me forget how drunk she is every single time, or at least how drunk she's supposed to be. Yeah. Because she does just fine. She does amazing. 
Like, if I had had as many shots as she had had just in the, the two parts we saw, I would not be able to fight Nazis. But I think that's another stroke of genius with this, is don't make her that drunk because then she becomes a bit of a damsel, and that's not her character at all. At all. It's just not that important. You set up that she's a very strong, tough character who can outdrink anybody, and that's awesome. Yeah. And then just have her be relatively normal the rest of the way. Exactly. I think it helps her character a ton. Kicking ass and taking names. Yeah, <laughs> she does that often. Marion and Indy fight off the Nazis, but in the process, they light the whole bar on fire. And Tot tries to steal the headpiece and burns his hand pretty bad on account of it being near the fire. So he doesn't take it because it's hot, and he leaves. And that's when Marion is like, well, fuck those guys. Looks like I'm coming with you. Well, Tot burns his hand, then he runs outside and puts it in the snow. And then like one minute later, after Indy and Marion get out of there, he's just gone. Well, when you burn your hand real bad, you gotta leave. You can't stick around and try to get the thing you came for. This isn't like a dodgeball thing, where just because like you got got doesn't mean you're out. <laughs> and you gotta figure that like he was just there a minute ago. He's gonna be within just like a couple hundred feet of this whatever it is. Like you yeah, can he go Nazi hunting here. But instead, they just kind of yell at each other like, "Ah, well, until I get my five thousand dollars, I'm coming with you because you know you burnt down my whole bar and all of my money that was in the cigar box." Right. I'm your goddamn partner. So the two of them fly to Cairo. And meet Indy's friend Sala, played by John fucking Reese Davis. And he too is crushing it. Absolutely. They go to him to get help decoding the instruction manual that's written on the headpiece. Like IKEA instructions. Just printed <laughs> directly on the couch that you're making. We're not talking IKEA again, Brian. <laughs> okay, that's fair. We cannot have you showing off your vast knowledge of the Ikea catalog. <laughs> Good, because I haven't learned any new ones since then. Okay. <laughs> Basically, the instructions on there tell them how tall the staff needs to be to find the stuff and do the thing. Sala's like, I got a guy. I love that they established Sala as like the guy who knows a guy. Like yeah. everybody knows that guy who knows the guy. I know exactly who you need. But that makes me like want more of him in this movie. Of yeah. just having random guys that he could just go and get weird things for. He's like the Morgan Freeman Shawshank Redemption of this movie. He's like, yeah, I can get you the thing. He sings a lot more than Morgan Freeman did in that movie. Sure does. And his voice is booming. He commands your attention. He's got he presence. absolutely does. And I'm going to give it to him. Dude can sing. So Indy and Marion get betrayed by a Nazi monkey. And a whole bunch of hired swordsmen <laughs> engage them in a giant street brawl. Can we talk about the saluting monkey? We absolutely can. They had a monkey trainer on set, and they asked the trainer to teach him how to salute. And the trainer taught him how to salute, but it more looked like he was, like, cowering, like he was going to get hit. So, because he was, like, raising his arm up, protecting him, and it was the wrong salute. Yeah. They wanted this monkey to heil Hitler. <laughs> So they eventually just started holding grapes out in front of him and just kept the camera going until eventually they got something that resembled a Heil. <laughs> yeah, eventually he's going to reach for that grape and we'll be like, yeah, okay, Heiler, we got it. And I got to imagine this monkey got like blacklisted right after. All the other monkeys were like, don't hang out with that guy. He's a Nazi. It's like, I played it in one film. It was acting. It was Act. acting. It's like, you was too realistic. Well, I really wanted that grape. It's unfortunate. It is. Monkey just wanted a grape, and instead they made him into a monkey supremacist. <laughs> that would kind of be Planet of the Apes. That's entirely different. It's very different. That'd be a very weird crossover, for sure. I kind of want it. 
Only a little bit. Only if it doesn't take away the original Raiders. I don't want it instead. I'm not saying I want this thing as like a substitution for the entirety of Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> I love this movie. That's fair. What I'm saying is if they remake Planet of the Apes for the 90th time, then my monkey's going to go for a grape again. Just a little throwback to monkeydom in other movies. And everyone's going to be like, oh, <laughs> it's that one. Oh, it's the Nazi monkey. He's Played by his great, 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 great grand monkey. I don't know the lifespan of monkeys. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of greats. It is a lot of greats. How long do monkeys live? The world may never know. I'm not looking that up because then I feel like a zoo is going to show up. You're like, why are you looking that up? <laughs> How many monkeys have you killed? <laughs> <laughs> Only the Nazi ones. You leave me alone. This guy's like the Hitler of monkeys. It's not so much going against an entire religion or race of people. He's just really mad at specific monkeys who are just reaching for grapes real suggestively. So this is a bad monkey. We've, I think we've established the monkey. He's an evil monkey. He's probably like the most evil thing in this movie. He did the salute. I didn't see anyone else saluting. That's true. Like that right there is probably animal cruelty when you think about it. <laughs> it's a bad monkey, but everybody still loves this monkey. So Everybody loves this monkey, but I bet when that monkey like popped that arm up there, that was the day that Steven Spielberg said, I need to go make Schindler's List to atone for what I've done to this monkey. <laughs> That's my headcanon now forever. <laughs> the Nazis kidnap Marion, leaving Indy to run through the streets of Cairo, looking for her while being attacked left and right. And there's this one dude that shows off some sweet, intimidating swordsmanship. He's all like, look at me. I got them sweet sword moves. Come and get some. So Indy shoots him. Of course he does. And it's one of the most famous scenes in this movie. It's one of the most famous facts about this movie that the reason they did it is it was supposed to be a fight scene. but Harrison Ford had the flu was shitting himself that entire Everybody day. Everybody on set was shitting themselves. We'll get there. We will get there. But he couldn't do the fight scene, so he just said, no, oh, let me just shoot him, and there you have it. You have Hollywood gold for forever and ever now. Bam. Just like on the day, like, you know what? Why don't I just shoot this guy? And forever. Iconic scene. But that leads me to think now, like, all right, maybe if Crafty, Craft Services on set got like a little bit creative, pop a little X-Lax in there. Some of these snacks. Apparently, it makes folks get real creative. Apparently. Like, on the day. Like, oh, God, we have this giant-ass monologue coming up. Bet we can shorten that, cut some lines. How are you going to do this? <laughs> oh, everybody on set has to shit. That's weird. Uh, Gregory Peck, set up to kill a mockingbird. I can imagine now. It's like the final courtroom scene where he delivers that insanely long monologue. Oh, yeah. We're going to need to do this shorter because I've got to poop. <laughs> so this is going to be the shortest closing argument ever with my possible John claude Van Damme accent doing Gregory Peck. Could have fooled me. It's indecipherable. <laughs> we have no idea who's saying what anymore. No clue. Acting. Oh, poop. Oh, pooping. <laughs> Let's make this a quick speech. I've got the squirts. <laughs> Give him all the Oscars. <laughs> It was such an honest performance. Now, there aren't many cats in this movie. In fact, there's only one. And it's here on the streets of Cairo. And cinema cats, although there are some movies where there are very large cat roles that they don't have on their website, they do have this one. Why? I don't know, because it's a very famous movie, I guess. Okay. 
When Marion, Karen Allen, is grabbed by goons in Cairo, Indiana runs through the streets after her. At one point, he rounds a corner and comes to a quick halt. A tuxedo cat is sitting in the narrow pathway and is startled by Indy's sudden appearance. As Indiana tries to figure out which way the men took Marion, the cat gets up and starts to move away. Final musings? Cats don't appreciate being startled by archaeologists. Thanks for wasting everybody's time there. I Cinema love cats, to do mostly. <laughs> a little bit Brian, a lot of bit Cinema Cats. Well, <laughs> that could just exist on the internet and nobody would have to know about it. I keep bringing it up. I'm glad you're putting that magnifying glass on that wonderful, wonderful website. <laughs> also, Tuxedo Cat's not a thing. It's just a cat. Exactly. Just a, it's a black cat with, with a little bit of white on it. Standard issue cat. Default cat settings. Anyway, the Nazis throw Marion, who's hiding in a basket, into the back of a truck. So Indy shoots the driver, and of course the truck crashes and tips over. And everybody knows that when a truck tips over, it explodes. On the spot. Devastated at losing Marion to the blast, Indy drowns his sorrows at the local tavern, where of course he runs into Belloc, who has some sweet, sweet exposition for him. He does. And Paul Freeman said this scene was really, really difficult for him to do, because he just had a smoke hookah the entire time. Yeah. And all that was going through his head was, don't throw up, don't throw up, don't throw up. So now you have a man trying not to throw up, acting against a man who's trying not to shit himself. <laughs> it's a hell of a day. It really is. <laughs> and what's crazy about it is like you hear all these horror stories about what happened on this set. And Kathleen Kennedy said, no, this is actually a really, really smooth shoot, believe it or not. <laughs> we finished early. And by all accounts... It really was a relatively easy shoot. Yeah, well, everybody says when they have diarrhea, it's a smooth shoot. Gross! That's really gross. <laughs> <laughs> but I am a little proud of it. That would have been like, so jarring to see because this movie is a lot of like browns and yellows. Oh, yeah. Like sandy colors and cave colors. And then it would be like a weird... Game of Thrones situation with the coffee cup, and instead it's just, you see that bright pink bottle just sitting there on the table of <laughs> <laughs> just Pepto-Bismol. Oh, wow. That would get noticed. For sure. Long story short, Belloc's been hired by the Nazis to find the Ark. Indy tries to attack him, and the entire room draws weapons on Indy, but luckily, he's rescued by Sala's children, who form a human shield around him, because, you know, children are always off-limits for Nazis. That's right. Famously off-limits. Never been any diaries written about nope. that, ever. <laughs> nope. Never, ever. That evening, Sala tells Indy that he saw the Nazis have their own headpiece. Also, briefly, he's like, oh yeah, sorry about Marion dying. Anyway, let's get on with business. <laughs> <laughs> right? Are your sorrows drowned enough? You're good now? Okay. All right, cool. Cool. We talked about that for a hot second. We gotta go see this guy. But that would have been kind of fucked also if Sala here is just like, oh, we probably should talk about that age difference thing now that she's dead. Because <laughs> she's definitely never coming back, so this is fine. We can finally get to the bottom of it. I've always been weirded out by it. <laughs> and Indy's like, well, it's not like she was only 14. <laughs> what voice was that? That was not Harrison Ford, and it was not George Lucas. That was a very bad George Lucas. Oh, boy. Sala tells Indy that the Nazis have their own headpiece, which she's like, how? That makes no sense. There's no pictures of it. There's only one that exists. It's right here in my hand. But Sal's like, I don't know what to tell you, bro. They have one. It's rubber and has markings on the one side and everything. So he takes Indy to the old imam who decodes the markings on the headpiece. And he's like, hey, there's shit on the back. And 
Indy and Sala realize the Nazis have misread the headpiece and their staff is too long and they're digging for the Ark in the wrong place. I love this because the whole time Indy's like tossing a date up and down as he's just walking trying to sort this all out. The monkey's digging in there and the monkey eats a date and then there's just a dead monkey. And we know that because we have Sala is singing a song and then he just stops as this date is in the air. And I love that moment because he grabs it and then just like me in high school, he says, bad dates. Because ah, dating is hard. It is hard. I'm glad I don't have to ever do it again. <laughs> but I think this is like a weird moment also because you see dead monkey on the ground, but it's really hard to feel bad for it knowing that he's like King Nazi monkey. It is King Nazi monkey, so it's probably best for you know the entire monkey kingdom that he's no longer with us. Most evil of the monkeys, finally deceased. Of his own accord, too, because it was his master that poisoned the dates. It's like, you got to know that stuff. Just couldn't help himself to those bad dates. He couldn't. That's why hate is dumb. It's easier to love. Exactly. So we're going to Tannis. Infiltrating the dig, Indy and Sala use the headpiece in the map room to pinpoint the Well of Souls, where the Ark of the Covenant is kept hidden. And this map room looks amazing. It's so cool. It has, like, these small sculptures on the floor. And it has like this pegboard in front of it also that has a bunch of different holes so you obviously could fuck up where you're going to put the, the staff with the headpiece on it so you could easily mess this up. Right. And he's all proud of himself because he finds the right hole and you see a little smirk on his face. Like, oh, look at me go. I got he's, it. I solved the Nazi so puzzle. proud of himself. And we're proud of him too. And he sticks the staff into the hole and then he just has to wait for the sun to get there. And this is really lucky. That the sun is almost there when he stuck it in. Yeah, they uh, he got there at the right time. And it's funny because like the sun's coming down. He's like, oh, it's starting to light stuff up, I think. And then it's like a laser shoots through this thing and just hits this one building. And there's a giant light. And it's like, how did the Nazis get this wrong? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's very obvious when it works correctly. I wonder if, it, if, it's, if you get it wrong, it still does the whole glowing thing. It still puts on the show for you. It just gives you the wrong location. <laughs> but while this is happening, a couple of Nazis see Sala up there watching guard for Indy while he's in the map room. And they're like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, nothing. Just hanging out. We'll drop this rope and get out of here real quick. And then he comes back with a bunch of flags tied together to get Indy out of the hole. And then they're walking right through this Nazi encampment, trying to stay inconspicuous by just, you know, moving and turning whenever a Nazi walks by so they don't see Harrison Ford's face. That's right. <laughs> wow, he blends right in. It's, it's amazing. At one point, he ducks into a tent, and luckily, of all the tents in all the world, it's the one that's hiding Marion, who's still alive. How about that? It's amazing. She's tied up, and she's gagged and being kept there against her will, so Indy leaves her. As he probably should. Yeah, it'd be pretty obvious if all of a sudden they went back to the tent and she was gone. They'd be like, wait a minute. Where'd this girl go? He doesn't so much explain his plan to her, though, because I can't even imagine what that would even sound like. I want to dig a hole. I can't get you yet because <laughs> I, I have to dig the hole. So, uh, deuces. <laughs> hey, I think I know where the ark is. And bye-bye-bye. Uh, bye. I gotta leave you here. Bye. Oh, Marion, one more thing. Uh. Get off my plate. Go get by. When the Nazi search continues to turn up nothing, they're like, hey, maybe we need to talk to the girl, as if she somehow secretly knows the location of the Ark of the Covenant, and she has the whole time. 
Well, their reasoning is that she had the headpiece this entire time, so she probably knows more about it than they do. I mean, that's probably fair, but they, they have their own version of it, apparently, so I don't know what more she could tell them about it. Belloc's like, no, I like her, I'll talk to her, but I don't want to do anything bad, because I'm not a Nazi like you guys, and they're like, fine, we shall have Tut do it then. That's not ever what you want to hear, though. No, because he walks up, and he, he does a heil, but like a half heil, it's more of like a high. <laughs> It's like a high Hitler. <laughs> it is really, really pathetic. And it's just to show the burned in headpiece on his hand. Yeah. And that's why they only got one side. He branded himself when he picked up when it was really hot in Nepal. And now it's, now it's on his hand. He should have flipped that bad boy over, burned his other hand. They would have had both sides. Right? If he had tried to pick it up by like like a seal would with, with the two hands, he would have had the whole thing. <laughs> Oh, that would be so uncomfortable to watch, is him juggling this hot piece of metal. Hi, 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 hi. Like, wow, no. Don't do that. Look, who wrote this dialogue? That's terrible. <laughs> uh, We're going to need an evil monkey to hide that. That's, oh, boy. <laughs> We've gone too far. Is there a way we could burn the headpiece into the monkey's hands? I feel like people will be more okay with that. No, you don't hurt the monkey. So this is George Lucas. Um, so monkey <laughs> hands are, are really, really small. So what if we burned it on the monkey's belly? Can we do that? Just smack the thing right into the monkey's old chesticle area and just burn it onto his belly. And then we can solve that plot hole. And also the monkey is, he's 45 years old. <laughs> and I want that written in the script. Because I like numbers. It's very important to me. <laughs> also, I love the size of his hand in this scene. It's huge. It's an enormous hand. He's got a giant hand. Barely noticeable. <laughs> giant hand, weak Kyle. <laughs> Speaking of barely noticeable, Indy and Sala get to digging totally inconspicuously. Just kidding. They're right out in the open in the middle of a Nazi dig site, and nobody questions them at all. No, and I feel like they're getting away with it for a while, too. Oh, yeah. That they get, like, cocky enough to start singing. <laughs> they start singing. Indy takes off his disguise. He's just standing there in full Indiana Jones outfit against the setting sun, silhouetted gorgeously, but very impractically. It is very Luke Skywalker, and it makes sense because this was shot by old Georgie boy. Yeah, that does make sense. Meanwhile, Belloc is trying to seduce information out of Marion or something. I don't know what he's doing. He's like, here, have some food. Use that knife to cut whatever the food is. There's a knife. Remember, there's a knife. And then he's like, hey, also, I want you to wear this dress for me. And she's like, that's weird, but okay. We're going to get there. I have so many questions, but we're going to get there. So many questions. And then she's like, all right, but we going to drink. They are going to drink. And they start going shot for shot with each other. And when she's feeling like he's good and drunk... He goes and reveals, oh, no, this is, this is like my own liquor, my family line that I grew up on. I'm not getting very drunk at all. And she's like, well, I better use this knife now then because <laughs> time is of the essence. I hear people singing. I have always laughed at this because I have always found this scene fascinating because Belloc and Marion do get along. Yeah, they do. And, like, it feels natural. It feels right. Like... Belloc is a bad guy, but he's kind of not. He's really just a hired hand. Right. He's an archaeologist who just 
will go to the highest bidder, and it just happens to be the Nazis at this point. And he doesn't have any real talent like Indy does. He kind of just rides Indy's coattails the whole time. Yeah. But the reason why Marion and Belloc have this sort of chemistry is because they were supposed to. It was supposed to be a love triangle. And they abandoned that storyline and kind of wrote it out, but wrote around it at the same time. So it doesn't actually come to fruition. That's why Belloc, he doesn't want any harm to come to Marion in this movie. Right, right. Because he thinks that, yeah, she's innocent. He even says, like, the girl is mine. It's like, well, never ever say that. Maybe you are a Nazi (laughs) and you deserve the worst, but we'll get there. I'm getting ahead. It was supposed to be a love triangle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I also know that this particular scene was not scripted and was completely improv, and they had to connect a whole bunch of stuff at once between the the drinking competition and they want, really wanted Marion in this dress for later in the movie and all of that. Right, but a lot of this movie is just kind of connecting the dots, and we will get there. Yes. So Marion turns the knife on Belloc and starts backing out of the tent, but it turns out Tot is at the tent's entrance, leaving her nowhere to escape to. And we already know that he has different means of getting information. It's a very, very good gag because he pulls that almost nunchuck-looking thing out of his jacket. Yeah. And then he assembles a nice coat hanger and hangs up his jacket. Fantastic. It's wonderful. So good. While this is going on, Indy and Sala open up the Well of Souls. And the Well of Souls is a deep, dark cavern, and the floor is moving. That's never what you want to see. You never want to see moving floors because, you know, that implies that something's down there. And it's a whole buttload of snakes. That came back! There's so many snakes! Why did it have to be snakes? It's a classic line. It is. And, and man, it's a lot of snakes. They were going to use mechanical snakes and they were like, nope, looks fake. Get me all of the snakes. They said they originally had like 600 and that wasn't enough? They started cutting up hoses and putting them down there with the snakes, and they were like, nope, that's not working. We need more snakes. This is like my nightmare. Yeah, it's not something that I would be pleased about, for sure. And Harrison Ford, I'm going to give him a lot of credit here for his acting, he doesn't mind snakes. How about that? And it's kind of like, good job, Harrison. You're shitting yourself on days where you shouldn't be shitting yourself. You should be shitting yourself now with all these snakes. Really sell it. Hello, snakes, you little slitherers. Uh, I'm going to come down into this hole with my fire. Uh, just stay off my plane. That'd be great. Thanks. <laughs> While you're at it, uh, stay off Sam Jackson's plate, too. <laughs> Die hard on a plane. I've heard that he's had it with those snakes on his plane. I've heard the same. Yes. Andy and Sala use their torches to, to clear a path through the snakes to the Ark, and they retrieve it from its container and carry it back over and hoist it up and once again belloc and the germans are just outside the entrance just waiting once again belloc is just taking what indy has found it's almost like without indy there's no way he could have gotten it and indy keeps getting stuff for him it's true maybe they should just work on different missions than him <laughs> yeah. like check in be like oh belloc what are you what are you doing what are you working on can you please update your archaeological status <laughs> on find antique book? <laughs> and while we're at it, uh, why did you change it to it's complicated for relationship status? Yeah, I was um I was following you on on Artifactor, and I realized that you changed your relationship status, and I'm, I'm wondering what that's about because well, I'm in something that's a little complicated too right now. <laughs> 
uh, you just recently got single and you just recently got complicated. It sounds like we're just two bros looking for some hoes. <laughs> and one last thing. Get off my plane. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Dave, I have an actual IMDb trivia fact. Okay. In a deleted scene where Sala is confronted by a Nazi soldier, John Reese Davis, who was suffering from cholera at the time, was required to bend down. Unfortunately, this prompted the very sick Reese Davis to soil himself. Yeah, everyone's shitting on this movie. I wonder if that's why the scene got deleted. It's possible. (laughs) (laughs) Like, not that he couldn't do the scene, just that he did it, but pooped himself while he did it. Oh, this is George Lucas again. So, you know, we had that toy right thing with Star Wars, all the merchandising. Um, if we leave all the pooping in, I can definitely get Hershey's on board. <laughs> I've made the phone call with the Hershey's people. They asked, what disease is going around? I said cholera and dysentery. They said, mm, that's not good enough. I said, I'll make an action figure. They said, okay. <laughs> Come get your Sala toy with real pooping action. Squeeze his belly and see what comes out. <laughs> it's gross. <laughs> yeah, those Kenner toys, man, you never know. They're probably worth a fortune now. Especially with the real cholera action. Right. <laughs> so the Nazis take possession of the Ark, throw Marion into the hole, and trap Indy and Marion inside the chamber just by covering it back up. That's it, and Belloc doesn't want Marion to get thrown into the hole. No, he's like, hey, I, I like her. We drank together. We did, but the Nazis just toss her right on in there. She falls. She sees the snakes. It's not great. And I love all of like the close-up snake action with like that one cobra that's just getting a lot of screen time. Yeah. They pulled that off because, yeah, it's a dangerous snake. But what they did is they just slapped a piece of glass in between it and lit it so that you can't notice the glass. So yeah. you are actually getting that close to the snake. It works really, really well. Brilliant. Apparently, the cobra actually did spit venom onto the glass, too. So That's enough for me to never act ever again in anything. Right? I will fuck off to an island for forever after that. They were taunting this cobra just by having a bunny rabbit off screen. What the fuck? Right? I don't know if I could do that. That's too much. Just lay on this ground. We're going to taunt this cobra with a bunny rabbit. He's going to spit venom at you, but it's okay. There'll be glass in the way. Absolutely not. It's amazing that only one crew member got bit. That is kind of amazing. Also, do you think they wanted to do the snake bit with the monkey, but they realized that snakes don't have arms and they couldn't teach a snake to heil? (laughs) For sure. Definitely. (laughs) Those are definitely Nazi snakes. Oh, without a doubt they are, even though they're in Egypt here, but I just feel like there's something Nazi-like about them. You know, they're just mean. That's all it really takes. Even though only one crew member got bit, apparently one of the snakes died. Uh, Python got bit by a cobra and it died, so. Good for that that cobra, though. He got, or the python, I don't remember which one died already. It doesn't, it's not important, but now he's immortalized on IMDb. That's true. <laughs> of all the places to be immortalized, <laughs> that's certainly one of them. It sure is. <laughs> so Indy and Marion are trapped in the Well of Souls. Luckily, there's a wall with snakes coming out of it. So Indy, the quick thinker he is, he's like, there's got to be somewhere to go on the other side of that wall. So he climbs up this giant statue of Anubis, and he just kicks it over into the wall. The wall comes crashing down, opening up another room. I love his thought process of, 
As long as we just get out of this room and into another room, I'm sure we'll be fine. We'll be closer to not dying, maybe. Luckily, this adjacent chamber has a stone wall that leads right outside, making everyone wonder, why all the digging? I have no idea. It's always <laughs> bugged me. And it's not even like you're hiding this stone wall either. It is in clear view of the airfield that's there. Yeah. Like, all it takes is one curious Nazi to go, bet I can push that there rock into that there cave. <laughs> See what's going on inside. What is this wall? Do we know? <laughs> I think there might be something in there. How dumb do you think Indy felt after all that? After, like, popped the one stone out and he's just out of there free? Or he spent the whole <laughs> night digging before? He's like, I should have just looked around just for a hot second. That's on me, guys. Two more minutes in the map room and you would have found that that room probably leads to that room. And, you know, there's other ways to get into it. You don't have to go from the top. <laughs> in the map room, it's laid out like a roller coaster tycoon where there's an actual entrance <laughs> that is there to the Well of Souls. And he just didn't bother looking at the map. He just went, that light was impressive. Get off my plane. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm going where the light shone. I'm not trying to find no back entrance to the <laughs> Well of Souls. <laughs> I get it, though. It's 1936. He's not using the back door any reason. <laughs> and that can't be true, but I'm not going to Google Definitely. when that became, like, in vogue. Yeah, that's not something I, I'm willing to look into at this moment in time. That would be the weirdest Google updates I ever got after that. <laughs> the targeted ads would just be too specific. <laughs> bleach or no bleach? Howie Mandel's newest game show. <laughs> oh, there's there's too much room to play there, I think. That's right. I think maybe we just leave it at Howie Mandel and, and let your mind wander. But at least the bleach kills all the germs, so he's all about it. Exactly. It's sanitary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Indy and Marion escape just in time to see a wing plane being prepared to fly the Ark to Berlin. It makes me wonder how long they were like in the Well of Souls for, because for us, it was like five minutes. Yeah, it didn't seem like very long at all. They haven't even loaded this thing onto a plane yet, so. No, but they got it all the way to the airfield and just abandoned it saying, this is fine. I have to imagine that that was a whole conversation that took place of, we can leave this here. We're good. Yeah, he's not getting out of there. We couldn't even find the place. There's no back door. While trying to get to the pilot, you know, to tell him to get off his plane. Indy gets in a fight <laughs> with a big old brawler type around the plane, around the bottom of the plane. And Marion's like, well, all right, I, I can take care of this. She gets on the plane, knocks out the pilot, and then kills a whole bunch of Nazis with the plane's machine gun. Yeah, she does. And we should say that this pilot is played by the movie's producer, Frank Marshall. Oh, uh, absolutely. Frank Marshall had to spend many days in this plane cockpit. Spielberg sold him on the gig because he said it's only going to be a morning. And then three days later in this 150-degree <laughs> cockpit, he was still going. And probably had either cholera or dysentery. Without a doubt. He also got a headache because Karen Allen did not pull her hit on these wheel wedges to keep the plane there. That's what she used as the weapon. So poor Frank Marshall then had a play dead. <laughs> After getting whacked in the head. Being a producer, it's a tough life, man. Sounds tough, you know? Sometimes you guys spend three days in a cockpit in the middle of the desert and get whacked in the head. I absolutely love this fight scene, and it's probably the most fight scene in the whole series of Indiana Jones. And I think what's most brilliant about it is that it is entirely improvised. 
Is it really? They didn't really have a plan for this thing going in, and they just kind of made it up as they went along. And that seems to be the case with a lot of this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Where Spielberg and Lucas came up with the idea on a beach in Hawaii because Lucas wanted to not be in California when Star Wars came out in 1977. So him and Spielberg fucked off to Hawaii. Right. On the beach, they come up with this idea for this adventure type movie, this heavy pulp throwback to this style. They plot out the movie, kind of saying, this is what we want to do. We're going to have this, and then it's going to go to this, and then it's going to go to this, and it's going to go to this, and it's going to go to this. And then they brought in Lawrence Kasdan to write it, and he was really just connecting the dots and trying to make these plot points make sense, fitting them to make sense. Right. And that is why this film is possibly the most perfect example on film of cause and effect filmmaking. That makes sense. Because something always happens to set up a bigger moment later. Right. So it's almost like reverse engineering how it works. So in this one, you have Marion knock out the pilot, the hatch happens to close, and then she goes ham on everybody with the machine gun, (laughs) but she's stuck in there, and that's going to become a point later. But the idea of cause and effect is just constantly happening. Something always happens to force something else to happen to get to that bigger moment. Exactly. Even the gasoline that's leaking is because she shot up a bunch of stuff with a machine gun. Minutes before. It's everything leads to something else. You're absolutely right. But it is reverse engineered. So you do have your giant plot moments and they just kind of work backwards in order to make it make sense. Yeah. I love that. It's pretty smart, actually. Indy's getting his ass kicked. But eventually, the big dude just gets chopped up by the plane's propellers. Yeah, not what you want. But not before Marion's machine gun spills a whole bunch of gasoline everywhere, so shit's going to start exploding. And it's starting to explode so fast slash slow that Indy has time (laughs) to get up there, shoot the hatch on the cockpit open, get her out of there, and get off the plane and run a good 200 feet away before anything explodes. Right, right. And then it's a chain of explosions, one after another, which is going to alert all the Nazis, and they're like, "Uh uh-oh, something's happening over there. Now, with the plane option gone, Belloc and the Germans load the Ark up onto a truck, and they're like, all right, we'll drive it to Cairo. So, obviously, Indy has to hijack a horse and chase after the truck convoy. Of course! And again, super subtly. It's not subtle. He's, he's riding right next to them. He is! plain sight. He comes down in the middle of the convoy, and then he just jumps from the horse onto the truck carrying the Ark and just starts taking out Nazis one by one. And I love this. Because, again, it's set up, they have the Nazis go two by two along the side of this truck that he's in, and he has to knock them out one by one at that point, but there's always more coming, and they're always coming in different ways at him. Yeah. So it keeps it interesting. He's got to run cars off the road. He's got to sideswipe Nazis on the side of the truck. He's got to kick them out of the cab. He's got to climb on the underside of the truck and then use the whip to trail behind it it makes me wonder about this truck because yeah the passenger door is open the entire time and it really is just switching places in the driver's seat it doesn't seem all that difficult to do like it reminded me of like professional wrestling where it doesn't take much to move somebody oh yeah to a different spot in order to just keep it moving forward that's true like you just put the littlest bit of weight behind it and it's kind of just like you're whispering there, like i need you to move (laughs) this isn't George Lucas this is just the voice I used for whispering whisper voice is a lot like Lucas voice everybody knows it but basically it is just them trading driver's seats and trying to kick them out the door and sometimes not kick them out the door because somehow it's easier to throw them out the windshield 
I guess, you know, if the scene calls for it, that's what you got to do. Okay. <laughs> but this is basically just Harrison Ford kicking all of his stunt doubles' asses. That's all it is. He manages to take out all the Nazi soldiers one by one, and then the only car left is the one that has Belloc and Colonel Dietrich, who's one of the Germans, like the head German. The blondest German. So he kind of runs them off the road, gets a head start. And when he reaches Cairo with the Ark, Sala has arranged for a hiding place for him within the market square where they just kind of like have a garage open. And he pulls in and they shut it and they set up a whole storefront in front of it. And they act like they've been there all day long. They try selling stuff to the Nazis, which I've always really, really liked. I like, you know, like it a the lot. Nazis all angry throwing the melons around. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes Nazis are going to throw melons angrily. It's true. But then the Nazis drive off, and then within 100 feet of them leaving, they all just cheer. And that's always bugged me. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, I feel like there's a lot of that kind of thing happening in this movie, where people celebrate just so soon after the bad guy leaves that, like, I don't know if they wouldn't notice that. It's kind of fun, though, because it creates a world that only exists within the frame that we see. Yeah. And I like that. Right. You don't have to really concern yourself with what's happening off screen at any point. Sala has also arranged for Indian Marion to depart with the Ark on the Bantu Wind, a ship bound for England, under Captain Katanga, played by George fucking Harris. Yeah, and he's very good in this. He's so good. On this ship, Marion tries to nurse Indy's wounds. After she gets another dress. And it just makes me think that, did they just keep dresses on board wherever they're going just in case a lady showed up? That's actually, I want to say they say that at this point. Like, I don't think I'm the first woman that's been on this ship. <laughs> they have just a dress waiting for me. It's very weird. It's very weird. But she's trying to nurse Indy's wounds, but he's being a little baby. So she's like, all right, where doesn't it hurt? And he's like, my elbow. So she kisses his elbow. And he's like, my forehead. She kisses his forehead. He points to his eye and she kisses his eye. And I never understood that. Very weird. Like, I get everybody's got their kink, but. Well. I'm not going to, oh, I might kink shame him for that one. That's weird. Indy's an eye guy. I don't know what to say. <laughs> he points to his lips and it's all romantical and whatnot. And then he falls asleep. Very, very quickly. And like, I like super that. Super quick. Mid kiss, asleep. It's very rude, but he already got his eye kiss. He got his jollies off. He's <laughs> right. done. Yeah, he's, he's like, I got what I wanted. While all that's going on, the Nazi label on the crate holding the Ark mysteriously burns away while some mice react accordingly. And it turns out that that one mouse had a brain tumor. I read that he was deaf and that he made these weird motions so that he can actually like, keep his good ear up. Yeah, like this mouse was just acting weird. So they filmed it. And they're like, we're going we're gonna to find a place for that for sure. And then I think they found out after that the mouse had a brain tumor and it died. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Yeah. I'm so, glad that he gave his life for the arts. <laughs> hey, this mouse is doing some funky acting. Let's let's use it. Oh, he's not well. Uh, Steven? Steven? Uh, I found a real fucked up mouse. Can we film it? <laughs> it's basically the Gary Busey of mice. <laughs> <laughs> it's doing something interesting. Put it on film. We'll figure out what's wrong with it later. Oh, man. <laughs> what do you mean something's wrong? <laughs> Oh, it was a brain tumor. Yep. Okay. The whole time. <laughs> <laughs> He's Oscar nominated. I always have to remind oh. myself of that when talking about Gary Busey. <laughs> I think everybody needs the reminder every once in a while. 
He's Oscar nominated and Nicolas Cage's won one. There you go. <laughs> I don't know what that says about the Oscars, but... They're so white. That's what it says. That's, we know that. <laughs> on account of the hashtag. It's true. A Nazi U-boat with Belloc and a bunch of Nazis, because, you know, it's a Nazi U-boat. They stop the ship, and they take back the Ark and Marion, but Indy is hiding very well. He's like, it's in the little thing on the, the boat that, you know, the L-shaped thing with the, the, the hole. Smokestack. Yep, you could call it that if you want. I like calling it the L-shaped thing with the hole. Brian's a really big fan of boats. It's more evocative. And it shows. So the Nazis take the Ark and Marion, and as they're leaving, the whole ship crew is like, where is Indy? And they're like, oh, oh, there he is. He's, he's stowing away on the U-boat, which, lucky for him, is not going to submerge because he's just going to stay on the outside of it, I think. But everyone cheers again. Again. Yay. He did the thing. Oh, they're inside. Shh. Everyone keep it down. They're right there. Everybody's blown up Indy's spot all along the way. The U-boat docks at the GNC where Indy steals a Nazi soldier's uniform, but it's too small. So he steals another one. Classic. He follows Belloc and Tot and company and the kidnapped Marion to where they plan to open the Ark like a bunch of idiots. <laughs> okay, we got the thing. Should we open it? Well, everything I've read says don't do that, but yeah, we should definitely do that. He shows up on a cliff with a rocket launcher and he threatens to destroy the Ark. And Belloc's like, you're an archaeologist. You have a code. You won't do it. <laughs> I like how the archaeologist is challenging the archaeologist on the archaeological code. <laughs> and India's like, shit, you're right. God, you got me. So they capture him too. And Dave, I have two, that's right, two actual IMDb trivia facts. Double dipping. All right. That's right. During the scene where Indiana threatens the Nazis with a Panzerfaust, you can clearly see a fly creeping into the mouth of Paul Freeman. Uh-huh. This is very famous. Contrary to popular belief, he did not swallow it. Freeman explained in an interview years later that the fly flew off at about the instant he uttered the word bad. But Steven Spielberg noticed it and decided it would be funny to cut out a few frames so the fly would not be seen flying away. And I've read the oral history of the making of this movie on Empire they did only a few months ago. That's the second part of the fact. All right, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> this made it look as though Freeman ate it, and he found the edit highly amusing. Empire Magazine chose this scene as one of the most common scenes for which people press pause on their VCRs. Oh, then this oh, goes an entirely different way because- Empire talked about it again. Empire did talk about it again. And Spielberg talked about it again in this interview. He said, I have inspected those frames the way some people have inspected the Zapruder film. And I am telling you, that fly did not suddenly jump into a fifth dimension. That fly went into Paul Freeman's mouth, and Paul was so absorbed that he didn't realize he'd swallowed the bugger. <laughs> Paul Freeman ate the fly. That is directly from Steven Spielberg's mouth. Wow. So he did not edit out the frames because he thought it was he funny. He did not. IMDb, imdb Sure did. And then tried to use facts to back it up that I just out-fact them by using the same source. Boom. Facts gonna fact, no matter who's factoring them in. This show's heavily researched, motherfucks. We got it. That's right. I'll give you information from one side, and then Dave will give you the right one. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Anytime you hear IMDb trivia fact, if you take it as gospel, that's on you. No, you got to take it with like an entire pound of salt. 
Uh, lots and lots and lots of pounds of salt. Like a whole lick. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the saying. Oh, I got something I got to say. Just take it with a lick of salt. <laughs> uh, the second actual IMDb trivia fact. This one, I don't think you can debate this one. Okay. In the scene in the valley on the island where Indiana threatens to blow up the ark, you can see that apparently a navy blue shroud has been made for it. Okay. Can't debate it. You cannot debate that. <laughs> apparently a navy blue shroud has been made for it. All right. That's, that's a fact. I'm glad. So Marion and Indy are tied up and forced to view a ceremony where Belloc opens the ark in front of a group of Nazi soldiers. But once the ark is open, a mystical supernatural force suddenly destroys the equipment the Nazis are using to film the opening. And I love how in the ark is just a bunch of sand. Just a bunch of sand. And everyone seems like real let down by it. Except for Tot. He's like, <laughs> sand. <laughs> I burned my hand for sand. It's a weird realization to make. Indy warns Marion to shut her eyes and don't open them no matter what happens. And then spirits begin emerging from the Ark and floating around the Nazis. And Belloc is like, it's beautiful. And then shit gets dark. Yeah, it does. Flames rise from the Ark. Bolts of energy shoot through the gathered Nazi soldiers, killing them all. The, the blondest German, his head collapses in on itself. And then Tot's face melts off of his skull. It's badass. And then Belloc's head explodes. I love it. I love it so much. So good. I like perk up every single time this happens because the special effects look awesome. They look so good. They are clearly just effects happening, just practical effects that they had to make work. But I think that's like the magic of it, man. Yeah. Yeah. The fire rises up through the clouds before the Ark pulls in the remains of the dead and seals itself shut. And having witnessed none of that, Indy and Marion open their eyes and realize that the ropes have been burned off. Which is lucky. And it's also lucky, like, opening your eyes, being the first one to do it. Right? Like, is it time? Can I? Oh, man. I, I, like, if you weren't pooping yourself before, you should be now. No, you're absolutely pooping yourself now. And then they're like, hey, we've been spared from the wrath of God. Let's hug. And they do. And they do. And we go back to Washington, D.C., where the two Army intelligence representatives assure Indy that top men are studying the Ark. Top Men. Classic again. Absolutely classic. In a bold, direct callback to Citizen Kane that has since become probably more iconic than the scene it's referencing, the Ark of the Covenant is sealed in a wooden crate and rolled through an enormous government warehouse filled with countless other similar crates. I love this ending so, so much because they just keep pulling the camera out and you see like the giant map painting of all these crates. Yeah. The room is enormous. And it just makes you wonder, like, what else is in there? Exactly. And I do have one last actual IMDb trivia fact. Okay. Based on the wooden crate. Sure. And just because I feel like you referenced this and Die Hard last week, I had to read this one. Yeah. Before Harrison Ford was an actor, he was a carpenter who worked with wood. Nailed it. <laughs> that is absolutely it. Couldn't believe it had two likes. And I had to make this one very <laughs> vanilla because of everything else I've set up. All right, that's, oh, I'm very excited to see where that goes. And maybe I left more than one on a few movies. See, now you're just setting yourself up to hear more IMDb trivia facts. Yeah, but they're mine, so I'm okay with that. Only if I pick yours out. Yeah, and if you don't, there's something wrong with you. I'm going to have to wildly gather several of them just to make sure I hit the right ones. 
annoying but necessary. It's for the art. To suss me out. <laughs> but that is Raiders of the Lost Ark from 1981, directed by the Steven fucking Spielberg. I love this movie so much. It's so much fun. Like, it, you put it on and you were just in it. And it's exciting scene after exciting scene, nonstop until the end. It does not slow down. No. And there's always something interesting happening. There's always something exciting happening. This really is one of the more perfect movies ever made. I would agree with that. A lot of people would agree with that. Because Rotten Tomatoes, 1 to 100, where do you think this thing lands? 98. 95. Okay. Audience scores 96. Roger Ebert did see this movie. And gave it four out of four stars. <gasps> We've never had that, have we? We've had it probably a bunch. Okay. Oh, that's right. I keep thinking it's out of five. It's never out of five. If we ever get if a you five, gave a five, I will. Oh, I wouldn't know what to do. Straight up, solace shit my pants if we see a five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to fake it one day now. All right, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> he says, "Raiders of the Lost Ark is an out of body experience, a movie of glorious imagination and breakneck speed that grabs you in the first shot." hurdles you through a series of incredible adventures, and deposits you back in reality two hours later. Breathless, dizzy, wrung out, and with a silly grin on your face. Mm -hmm. He goes on to break down like the heroes and the villains of this thing, but he does it in like a grand vision, if you will. Okay. He says, for villains, it has sadistic Nazis, slimy gravediggers, drunken Sherpas, and scheming Frenchmen. For threats, it climaxes with the wrath of God and leads up to that spectacular development by easy stages with tarantulas, runaway boulders, hidden spears, falling rock slabs, burning airplanes, runaway trucks, sealed tombs, and snakes. <laughs> Lots of snakes. So many snakes. For modes of conveyance, it looks like one of those world's fair panoramas of transportation. It has horse carts, biplanes, motorcycles, submarine ships, horse trains, and trucks. No bicycles. <laughs> they left one out. For heroes, it has Indiana Jones and his former and future girlfriend, Marion. She's the kind of girl, well, to make a long story short, when they first met 10 years ago, Indiana deflowered her. And that made her so mad at men that she moved to the mountains of Tibet, opened a bar, and started nightly drinking contests with the Sherpas. She'll never forgive him. Almost. I feel like he might have added his own spin on that a little bit. He certainly had fun writing this thing. And he finishes by saying, Raiders of the Lost Ark is a swashbuckling adventure epic in the tradition of Star Wars, Superman, the James Bond pictures, and all the other multi-million dollar special effects extravaganzas. It only wants to entertain. It succeeds. Absolutely. Our good friends on Letterboxd. They loved it. This thing is probably the highest rated movie we've talked about on Letterboxd so far. Really? And it's kind of boring when everyone's just raving about the movie. Yeah. So there's a nice running thread here that I had to capture. But let me start off with one that doesn't follow that thread. Okay. From February 16th, 2018, I've seen this movie 400 goddamn times. Why am I only now noticing that it's really fucking weird that a university class ended with a bell ringing? <laughs> that is bizarre. I didn't even notice that. It really threw me for a loop when I read that one. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's weird. That is super weird. Now on to the thread. Are you ready? I hope so. I'm, I'm sitting down. From December 27th, 2016... I'm currently building a time machine 
so I can go back to 1981 and bang Harrison Ford. <laughs> okay. From September 3rd, 2019, Indiana Jones could have texted me at 12.24 a.m. for a booty call, and I would have responded to him at 12.22 a.m. saying, I'm on my way. <laughs> From April 29th, 2020, crack the whip, daddy. <laughs> oh my God, this is great. From March 5th, 2018, I'm very high, so I had no idea what was happening. But all I know is that I want Harrison Ford to spit on me. <laughs> That's so graphic. It is so graphic. I have so many questions, but also, I guess I get it. Yeah, yeah. And the last one I had to leave the thread is from August 18th, 2017. He really raided the fuck out of those arcs, huh? <laughs> he sure did. And on that note, because he is kind of super, how about we give this thing a super stuff score? Let's do it. I do understand this kind of falls in the realm of not so super, but... It does and it also doesn't, because it, it does have a whole plethora of, of comic book adaptations. So, we'll start off like we always do with story and motivation. It's a one. Easy. It's so simple, so straightforward. Yes. The Nazis are looking for the Ark of the Covenant. If they get it, it's going to be real bad. You're an archaeologist and a badass. Go get it. Right. That's as straightforward as they come. One. Hero. It's Indiana fucking Jones. It absolutely is. He's an awesome hero because he's an academic first, and that's the way they presented the character when they wrote him. Yeah. Yes, he is a complete badass. Again, Harrison Ford wanted to do all the stunts up to a certain point. Yeah. So that you can keep that realism alive as the audience is watching it. The action and adventure really is almost second to none. I know last week we said Die Hard is probably the best action movie ever made. Yeah. I don't consider this a quote unquote action movie. This is an adventure movie. This is an adventure movie. Absolutely. And this is the best ever made in that genre for sure. Well, there you go. That's, that's a twofer. But at the same time, they made the character human. He's relatable because he doesn't just win all the time. Yeah. He gets his ass handed to him time and time again, and he always has to find a way out of it. So even when he's getting knocked out by this big, giant bruiser of a man in front of this wing plane, he had to just kind of take his licks until he could figure out how to actually win this thing. And it happened that the plane just chopped him up. That's yeah. awesome. It's, and it's funny that you drew a parallel to last week with Die Hard because- John McClane, a lot of the same kind of thing, where he gets beat up a lot in that movie, and you're not sure he's going to win. And Indiana Jones comes out on top. He absolutely does. I want to go two for hero. Let's do it. Two. Villains. The Nazis. They're real bad. They're Nazis. It seems, feels a little generic. It feels very generic. It's just kind of like umbrella Nazis for yeah. the most part. But then you also have Belloc, the competing archaeologist. I like that they gave him a little bit of depth yeah. of making him a competent archaeologist, but also- Also very much right in the coattails the coat of Indy. Yeah. I kind of want to go like 0. 0.5, dirty 0.75. Um, dirty 0.75. Nazis are bad. Nazis are bad. I mean, there's no getting around that. Actually, I think I want to call it a clean 0. 0.75 because that monkey's real evil. That's a badass monkey. 0. 0.75. Clean. Parents- as of this movie, it's a zero. That's all we can base it on right now. So a zero for parents. We'll get there. Female characters. I want to start at a one, and you're probably going to say, but she's the only one. 
wow, it's like we've done this before. <laughs> Just a few times. I know that Karen Allen has expressed disappointment with the film because her character was motivated more by her relationship with Indiana Jones than she was by her father and his obsession with the Ark. Um, but she also has come forward and said that like lots of women come to her and say that her character was an inspiration. And she did successfully lobby for rewrites to address her character arc and all that. So yeah, I think she's a very good character, but she is the only one. Let's go 0.75. I don't think she can get a full one if she's the only one. Exactly. For as badass as she is. Setting. It's everywhere. And we everywhere looks amazing. All over the place. And it always feels accurate. And something that really, really helps in this movie is how we get to these places. Because you have the red line that travels yes. to kind of say, you're on an airplane, you're flying to these places. I love that. It shows the passage of time. It shows where you're going. And then you get the establishing shot right after it. I'm going to go too. I think it's amazing the way it does it. So many movies have copied it since. Oh, absolutely. But I'm going to go two for setting. Yeah, two for setting. Like I even know that they refueled in Hawaii because of that map. Exactly. That's a two. Style and tone. The movie looks amazing. It looks so good. The action is all clear, and that's really difficult to do for the amount of action that's there. But I kind of want to focus more on the style of this movie a little bit and talk about something that we don't usually talk about all that much, despite us talking about super suits all the time. <laughs> yeah. Indiana Jones' outfit is, I, I almost used the word iconic, but I don't think that that is even enough praise for what it actually is. Iconic's a good place to start, for sure. You have the leather jacket, you have the fedora, you have the whip. Anybody can picture Indiana Jones without even trying. Right. And it's not even that hard to become Indiana Jones in terms of the dress of it because the jacket was done by the Westin Leather Company. You can actually buy the jackets on their website still. They do a lot of TV and movie outfits for the most part, like jackets, costumes, things like that. Yeah. So if you want the Raiders of the Lost Ark jacket, you can get it for like 210 pounds right now. It's not a bad deal. It's not. They sell a lot of knockoff crap too, like, oh, an Indiana Jones belt, his adventure bag. Ooh, adventure bag? A fedora, which wasn't done by them. It was done by Herbert Johnson. Sure was. And you can actually buy that hat for 495 pounds. Starting to get a little bit more expensive to become Just Indy. a little bit because of the hat. I know they still sell the shoes too, because it was the boots, the indie boots were made by a shoe company in Massachusetts. That's absolutely correct. But I think what's brilliant about this costume is that it is an everyman costume. Yes. Because you could still buy it right now. Yeah. And piece it together. It's not that hard. Yeah. Uh, I guess costume designer Deborah Nottleman based Indy's outfit, the flying jack and the fedora, on Charlton Heston's in Secret of the Incas. And in that film, Heston plays a treasure hunting adventurer who studies an ancient model map room, uses a beam of sunlight reflected off a crystal to pinpoint the location of the treasure. Sounds familiar. You know, um, similar-ish. Similar lots. I want to go too because this movie really did rewrite adventure movies. Yeah. The way that it's done, the way that it looks, the way that it's shot. It understood that there's a franchise behind it already. Like, it was a three-picture deal that Harrison Ford signed. They knew this thing was going to take off. When they did it, right. they had so much freedom actually making this movie that they didn't have any studio interference. This is just them having fun making a movie, and they knock it out of the park. Absolutely. This is a Steven Spielberg film. After he bombed on 1941, he just went for it. Right. And he stuck the landing a few times over. I want to go two. 
two for style and tone, which brings us to music. It's one of the most iconic film scores of all time. I'm going to go two. Two, because how can you argue against John fucking Williams? Like this, two five. Uh, two. <laughs> okay, didn't work. I guess you cannot argue against John fucking Williams. <laughs> One-liners. I'm going to say it again, Brian. Are you going to say two? I am, because this movie is loaded with them, and they are some of the most iconic in film history. Top men. Great line. It's not the years, honey. It's the mileage. Great line. improv line. He does that. He does it really, really well. Because he crushes it in Empire 2. Is it a 2? Or is it more of like a 1-5 territory? I think it's more like a 2 territory. I'll go higher if you want to play this game, bud. Oh, that's a good way for me to start arguing for a (laughs) 0. You would be insane to do that. And you will get all the email. We will split the difference with a (laughs) 1-5. It's a 2. Fine. I'll give it a 2. Which brings us to impact on the genre. It's enormous. It's, It's a large impact. Adventure films. I mean, that is... That is what we talk about a lot, isn't it? It's a genre that's been around for forever. Yes. But it's also a genre that got a little bit stale. And Star Wars obviously set this thing up to do really, really well by reintroducing the world to these adventure-type films, because that's an adventure sci-fi film. This here takes that classic idea of your adventurer treasure robbing, one of the oldest ideas out there Yeah, in terms of storytelling. And it turned it up to 11. And it's a movie that is made strictly to entertain. Absolutely. This is the kind of roller coaster that Scorsese was talking about when he was talking about the Marvel movies. It is not supposed to be deep with emotional impact and thought. It is supposed to be sit down, watch it, have a good fucking time. And I always have a great fucking time, probably to the tune of like a three. Oh my God. That's so high. I get it. it. You're a fanboy, but I am. But at the same time, it is one of the most iconic film franchises of all time. Yes, but we are talking about the comic book genre only because we chose to go on this scale. (laughs) (laughs) It is part of the National Film Registry, the Library of Congress. It did win five Academy Awards and was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Cinematography, and Best Original Score. And the Melting Head Effect has been done to death since this movie. Like Chris Wallace, who was on this movie as, as the makeup and effects person, then went on to do Gremlins. And we talk about it. If you listen to last month's Patreon episode, we talk about how the Gremlin melts at the end. It's the same guy. That's how it they did it. absolutely the same guy. It's the same thing. It's all the same effect. Yes. This is the only Indiana Jones movie to be nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, it makes sense. And um, see, this one would make more sense if we were doing a not-so-super, but... On the set of this movie, when Harrison Ford's wife, Melissa Matheson, visited the set, she and Steven Spielberg would shoot the shit, and that's how they came up with the script for E.T. So that would be even larger that would be, than probably a three. It would be, that would be like that a would probably solidify number. a three. All right, I'll settle for a two-five, Brian. All right, two-five, and you'll like it. I'm sorry you hate this movie. I don't hate it. Just, you know, needs sometimes... Bring you down to earth. That's very fair. That is going to give Raiders of the Lost Ark a total score of 15 out of 10. Ugh, that feels way too low. (laughs) 15 out of 10. Too low, he says. I want to apologize to everybody. We blew it. If you say so. Not a good way to start this month. Feels pretty appropriate. (laughs) I don't know that's going to get better. 
Only time will tell, bud, because next week we're moving on to the next movie in this franchise as we talk about 1984's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That's right. Now this one I have not seen. I am really, really curious to visit this one with fresh eyes because it's been a long time since I've really like watched it. Yeah. It's been one of those, it's on TV in the background movies for me. It is traditionally my least favorite Indiana Jones movie, and I am curious. All right. Well, guess we will find out next week. Until then, rate, review, subscribe. Join us on Patreon this month for Groundhog Day. Email us your questions and comments, katepodcasters at gmail.com, and follow us on social media at katepodcasters on all of the things, especially on Facebook, where we always put up a post on recording day asking for your questions and comments. And we got one. Derek Ives wrote in, and he asked, can we acknowledge the inappropriate age difference between Indy and Marion <laughs> that they had during their referred to relationship? Yeah, we can. It's weird, bud. Yeah, it's it's very weird. It even gets weirder when you when you think about George Lucas and the, the Star Wars prequels. So I'm happy that he kind of pivoted off of there and he said, and would Tom Selleck have been a good indie? Yes. Or maybe Harrison Ford with a mustache? Or maybe just a mustache as indie? I don't know. I would watch Just a Mustache as Indiana Jones. I think I'd be curious to do it. Derek, that's great recasting. On YouTube, there is, because Tom Selleck was like the lead for the, like they gave it to Tom Selleck, but he couldn't do the movie because of Magnum P.I. And then it turns out that they finished the movie and they ended the shoot in Hawaii where Tom Selleck had to be for Magnum P.I. He would have been able to get the whole movie in before he started. But on YouTube, there's this great deep fake that somebody did of Tom Selleck in this movie, and it is just absolute perfection, and that will be linked on the website. So if you're listening to this through some platform you subscribe through, be sure to head over to capepodcasters.com to find that the link to that video. And while you're kind of looking for weird things that are Indiana Jones related, RaidersGuys.com did a shot-for-shot remake of this movie as just a fan film. I think I heard about this. Their movie is called Raiders, the story of the greatest fan film ever made. The remake was accidentally discovered 14 years after they made it, and it was praised by Steven Spielberg. And it has become one of the most talked about and sought after cult films in cinematic history, according to them. (laughs) The guys who are in it playing the parts from ages 12 to 17 and then reverting to younger ages at different scenes. And apparently um, somebody bought the film rights to their story of recreating Raiders. So now there's going to be like a whole movie about these guys making Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it's just going to become a whole Inception kind of situation. Movies about people making movies about making movies. That is fascinating, and I just love whenever fans go like that extra mile. And this one has deserved all the praise that gets thrown its way, even if it sucks or whatever, which I don't think it would. Just even doing a shot-for-shot anything is so damn impressive. Yeah, that's that takes serious dedication, and it makes sense that it took them that long to do it. If you're curious about this, head over to RaidersGuys.com. Tom Selleck is not in it. Well, that's unfortunate. Derek, thank you for your question. Sorry for the tangent. Yeah, we kind of went off on that one. Brian, you got anything else? That's it for me. Fantastic. We're going to see you guys next week for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Same pod time? Same pod? Get off my plane.